0: I'm Jonathan Mose and welcome to episode 38 of Mosin at Large. Android is getting the feature most requested by members of the blind community. There's a lot more talk about working from home and hearing all your devices in one place. And shall we reminisce? Let's talk about talking clocks of old that you've used. If you'd like to make a contribution that might be included on Mosin at Large, you can phone the listener line. That number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736. You can also make an audio or written contribution by email, jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. We play a selection of the contributions we receive every week. It would be helpful if your message is concise due to the volume of contributions we receive and your contribution may be edited for brevity and clarity. A reminder that to help you navigate this long podcast, it is segmented by chapter. All the good podcast apps support chapters. That means you can skip forward and back between sections. If you've updated some apps on your iThing in the last day or two, and then you've tried to run that app, and you have been told this app is no longer shared with you, then you are not alone. Isn't that nice? I mean, it may be annoying the soup out of you. maybe annoying the soup out of you, but at least you are not alone. This seems to be a pretty widespread Apple bug. And no one seems to quite know why this is happening, but it sounds like, based on the error, that it could have something to do with Apple's family sharing thing. And that could be why... Touchwood, it's not happening to me because I'm the family sharing organizer in our family sharing group. So I'll have to find out from the Mosin Bananas who are part of the family sharing group if they are no longer able to run certain apps because of this error message after doing an update. And they're not paid apps either. I mean, people are reporting this with Audible and YouTube and WhatsApp and some apps that have received updates in the last little while. It's not clear whether this is something that has crept into iOS 13.5, which was officially released a few days ago. This is the update that's got all of the Google and Apple joint contact tracing API technology in it. So that's a fantastic initiative on those companies' parts, and hopefully it'll be widely adopted by governments around the world. Really no significant accessibility improvements from a voiceover user's perspective to tell you about the notifications bug still persists where if you don't clear your notifications as you go and you have a lot of them, you will eventually run out of room. It doesn't auto scroll as you scroll through notification center and also the uh, weird business with audio ducking not really working correctly. In certain circumstances, that also continues to be a problem. But there is a bit of good news, and that is that the spell checker rotor, the misspelled words rotor option, is working again. So you can use your rotor gesture to go to the misspelled words, flick up and down in any edit field, and that is working. So that's great. But anyway, if you are having this issue with the message that this app can no longer be run because it's not shared with you, you are not alone. And hopefully Apple will give us a fix. In the meantime, you can fix this yourself if, for example, you are locked out of WhatsApp. And for those who use WhatsApp, it's an incredibly popular app. And I have to give credit where it's due. The audio quality of WhatsApp messages is vastly better, in my view, even now than Apple's iMessage. They made some improvements to the quality of messages on iMessage, but I still think WhatsApp's better, and it's actually quite a lot easier to lock the talk key as well. So if you're locked out of your WhatsApp or your Audible or whatever, the fix is delete the app and then install it again. I know that's a pain in the bleep, and because of the way that Apple's sandboxing approach works, you will have to sign in again and do all those things, authenticate, but at least you will have your app back. Now, the other technology news I'm excited to share with you relates to Android. Yes, something I don't often say, but there are some really good things happening in Android land. And I hope I've always been willing to acknowledge that. Some of the accessibility things they've been doing in the area of transcription, for example, real-time transcription where if you are in a meeting and you have a hearing impairment, you can follow along as certain phones try to transcribe the meeting for you. And now they've added a feature, it was added just in time for Global Accessibility Awareness Day, where if someone mentions your name, your phone vibrates. Wouldn't that be good if they could make that global? If anyone in the world mentions your name, your phone vibrates. Anyway, so this is great because obviously sometimes when you're in a meeting, if you have a hearing impairment, it can be a bit tiring, a bit fatiguing. And it's great that the phone will nudge you. You know, attract your attention when someone's saying your name. That is a really cool feature. And there are a lot of good things happening in Android land. For example, I learned from the Reapers Without Peepers list, which I'm on, which is a Reaper accessibility list, that some Android devices are actually doing 32-bit float recording. So there is some good stuff going on. But typically, in terms of screen reading technology, Google has always been playing catch-up to iOS. And I remember in the early days of TalkBack, you couldn't even flick left and right between elements like you could on iOS. And the early Android devotees said, ah, this is a cop out. You're not aware of spatial relationships if you do it that way. It's unwieldy. You should just learn to explore the screen by touch and yada, 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 and on they went. But, of course, when Google inevitably introduced the flicking left and right, suddenly the Android users were like, squee, oh, this is wonderful. (laughs) So I guess that's the kind of camp that people get into. You're, You're in one camp or another, and it doesn't matter whether it's Mac and Windows or iOS and Google or whatever it might be. I try really hard not to do that. And I have switched camps. You know, I've been a Mac user, I've used different things. And if I think that something meets my needs better, I'll switch to it. Probably the most famous one is Braille Note and Pacmate, right? Oh my word. Whew, that was stressful. So I want to tell you that I am really excited about something that is happening in Android land at the moment. I have been on about this for years. And so it's only right that we should take some time on the show to sing the praises of Google for finally getting there with this. I hope for a time when the reasons why blind people choose iOS over Android or Android over iOS is for the same reasons that sighted people do. Do you want sort of consistency of hardware and software, which is what iOS offers and everybody gets the operating system at the same time when a new one comes out? Do you want more flexibility with the potential compromise of security, to some degree, unless you're careful, with Android, but a lot more freedom to customize the device the way you want? We should have those choices. And on the face of it, you'd have to say, I'd be inclined to be a bit geeky and go with the Android because I'm that sort of person. One of the things that has held me back is the mediocre state of the accessibility API when it comes to gestures on Android, specifically you can only use one finger for the gestures on Android. And that's why you've had all these hokey-tokey gestures. You know, you put your left finger up and right swipe it to the right and left, right, left, right, shake it all about. It's awful. And I know some people use them on a day-to-day basis, and that's fine. I'm not the only one who feels this way. Depending on the device that you have, those Angular gestures are a productivity killer. But apart from that, it's actually been a form of discrimination, because if you are paying a lot of bucks to get a premium Android device that is capable of multi-touch, why should the API prevent me from using that multi-touch capability to give me the screen reader experience I want? Well, according to the developer documentation that is out there now from Google and discovered and highlighted in a recent post from blindbargains.com. It looks like those days are over. And that, friend, is going to really level the playing field a lot in terms of iOS versus Android for blind people. So what this means is that you can stick with those Angular gestures if you're an Android user who's become used to them and you're happy with them, and that's terrific. But if you are not, and if the Samsung screen reader with its multi-touch gestures, was one of the things that attracted you to the Galaxy range, well, it looks like TalkBack will be able to offer multi-touch gestures. What do I mean? I mean that you'll be able to assign a two-finger double tap, a two-finger triple tap, a three-finger double tap, or even single tap, and a three-finger swipe left and right, and on and on it goes. We should be hearing more about Android 11 in early June. I believe the date is something like the 3rd of June we hear more about Android 11. And of course, even with some of the changes with things like Project Treble in Google Land, there will, once Android 11 is released, be a kind of a staggered rollout of Android. So it will take a while for all of the premium Android devices to get Android 11, and I suppose your best bet would still be a Google Pixel if you want to take advantage of this. But they are trying to make sure that new versions of Android roll out more quickly to premium devices. I think the OnePlus range was the one that got Android 10 after the Pixel, the first after the Pixel. But wait, there's more, as they say. With Apple devices, whether it be a Mac or an iDevice, you get what voiceover gives you. But with this robust API, I think that we can and will see quite a few new entrants into the screen reader space on Android. And that is really good. Consumer choice is good. And if there's a bit of a marketplace for truly viable screen readers, we may see a lot of innovation. I think it's going to be great. Would I switch? Well, I'll certainly buy an Android device that's capable of running Android 11 to play with this and monitor it. It is truly viable now, at least for speech users. And let's face it, they are the majority. We have to keep campaigning and making sure that Braille isn't forgotten. And from what I can gather, Braille still has a bit of evolving to do on Android. And this is the thing. With every release of iOS... Apple adds some really good new stuff in the voiceover space. And yes, I know there are bugs. Believe me, uh, the the grass isn't necessarily greener. Every operating system and app has some bugs. So Apple keeps innovating, and it still feels like Android is catching up. The fact that I'm so excited about something that Apple has had since 2009, (laughs) and here we are in 2020, and finally, multi-finger gestures are coming to Android, Really says it all. But there's a wide range of price points for devices in the Android ecosystem. There is much more configurability and control, both for the user and for developers. And we should have the same choice as sighted people do. I'm really invested in the Apple ecosystem. I like the Apple ecosystem. I have a lot of apps that I've built up over well over a decade of using an iPhone. I wouldn't want to give up my Ulysses and some of the apps I use on a daily basis just to get things done. But I feel like there is now truly a choice for me, or at least there will be, once Android 11 is out.
1: Hey, Jonathan, this is Bryant. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Brent. I got to thinking the other day about talking alarm clocks. I've had a couple of talking alarm clocks throughout my life. I had one small one and one bigger one that had the bigger one had uh, four alarms on it and was nicer than the small smaller one I think we got the smaller one from a cheaper cheaper store and so it wasn't quite as nice but I remember the smaller one had uh had a rooster on it that would um, go off whenever the uh, alarms went off but the bigger one had four alarms that had a stopwatch and it was nicer
0: than the the other one. I unfortunately don't have them anymore, and I don't
1: really think there's a need for them anymore now that we have iPhones and other means of telling the time. So if you've had any talking alarm clocks, what are your memories of them? And are there any ones that you remember in particular? Ah,
0: memories, memories. People love to reminisce about their old tech, don't they? The main thing I remember is, of course, the classic sharp talking time, which some people still have and really covet because there's never been anything quite as good as that sharp talking time thing that came out, I believe, in the early 80s. Certainly that's when it hit the streets, as it were, here in New Zealand, courtesy Of the equipment shop of the then foundation for the blind. And that was a great little tool, that sharp talking time. Not only was it a good alarm clock, but I also used it on the radio for timing up to the hour and all kinds of things. It was really cool. And of course, it had the stopwatch and oh, countdown. Did it have it? No, it didn't have a countdown timer. It's one of those occasions, I believe, when an assistive technology product actually eventually went mainstream. And I was talking about this because, for me, media gets really busy around the time of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which was just the other day. And I've been doing quite a bit of media here and around the world. And I did make the point on the interview that I did with Radio New Zealand, which you can hear on their website. It actually is a long one. It runs about 15 minutes, that in many cases – Technology that was intended for blind people or, in fact, people with other impairments has crossed over into the mainstream because people have thought, well, we can use that. Of course, audio are a case in point and on and on. I mean, we were using Braille and Speaks and Keynote devices and that sort of thing long before sighted people had PDAs and personal devices like that. The original Kurzweil reading machine, that washing machine-sized thing from the 1970s, that eventually metamorphosized into the scanner. So what you got over time was these talking clocks that went mainstream. And I have to say, I don't think any of them ever really matched the capability of that original sharp talking time. But eventually, you could go to your local electronics store and that would be, say, Dick Smith Electronics in this part of the world or Radio Shack in the United States, and you could buy these mainstream alarm clocks. I remember seeing one I think my brother had. It was sort of a pyramid-shaped thing, and it had female speech, and it had a big button, I believe, on the top of it that you pressed, and the speech was hideous. Hideous is what it was. And it did that awful rooster crow thing. Oh, man. So I don't remember the name of it or anything like that, but that's a fun subject. So if anybody wants to reminisce about talking clocks that they have had, and even better, if you've still got a talking clock from years and years ago, and you want to give us a bit of an audio demo, then by all means, let us have it. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. You can attach an audio clip to an email, or you can call the listener line, on eight six four six oh Mosin. That's eight six four six zero six six seven three six. And tell us about talking clocks from Days of Yore. Days of Yore. Mickey Quenza says I still use a talking clock radio, which I purchased from Innovative Rehabilitations Technology. That was IRTI, wasn't being in New Zealand as a kid or a young guy, sort of a teenager, it was a much bigger deal then in terms of the distance from things. And I do remember Getting Technical Innovations Bulletin. Technical Innovations Bulletin. A guy called Vito did that, didn't he? There all sorts of crazy gadgets in that thing. I was quite um, enthralled by it. Anyway, he says, I purchased it. Oh, yes, here we go. From Vito Prussia, who passed away last year. I'm very sad to hear that. He was over 90 years old. That is amazing. Yeah, I remember the Technical Innovations Bulletin with a lot of fondness. That was just really interesting. And I, I, one thing I do remember is he would give the contact details and he'd say, the toll-free number for orders only. And, I mean, he was very strict about this. He had this really strict way of saying it in the Technical Innovations Bulletin, for orders only. And I, I think, woe betide ye, woe betide ye, if you – if you called the number and you, and, and you weren't ordering anything, that's what I thought.
2: Jonathan Mosen,
3: Mosen at podcast.
0: Brian Borowski has been in touch, and he's suggested that this one might be a bit too geeky for the podcast, but I think it goes to show that there's more than one way to skin a cat. That's always an expression that's made me feel uncomfortable. Where on earth did that come from? I guess we can ask the drinker and see if it knows. Soup drinker. Where does the expression more than one way to skin a cat come from?
2: Sorry, I don't know that.
0: Okay, fine. Well, I don't know. It's a very strange expression and not a particularly nice one. Anyway, Brian says this. On the Saturday show, a lady, Louise, was asking about possible solutions to have each of her two devices set up so they were in separate headphones. There are a couple of passive solutions to make this happen. One, you can buy a type of cord or adapter that splits from 3.5mm TRS into separate RCA or other connectors and then use adapters to wangle things to appropriate connectors for plugging the iPhone and computer into each channel. Two, the ultimate passive solution requires some technical skills and soldering skills etc are you ready i'll give you the recipe i feel like you know method ingredients (laughs) buy two patch cords 3.5 millimeter trs male to female cut them in half see i told you it was like a recipe cut them in half strip off oh oh i see strip off outer insulation separate shield and the two inner wires For the male connector parts of the cords, obtain four resistors, a cord of a watt will do, values identical from 10 minimum to 47 ohms on each of the male cords. Solder each of them insulated inner wires to one end of each resistor, two per cord. Connect the other ends of the resistors together. Do this for the other cord. On one of the cords with the female connector, Strip the outer insulation off the cord, separate the shield and inner wires, connect each of these inner wires to the ends of the resistors that were connected together on the male cords, connect all three shields together, and use heat shrink to nicely encapsulate everything. There will be one unused part of patch cord with female connector from this process. You will have a cord that takes both channels from each sound card and puts one in the left earphone and one in the right. No extra power required, no batteries, no adaptive extra circuitry. This is one of those DIY projects, though, so most people won't do it. But it works, and I've done a number of variations on this in the past to accommodate various situations. Yeah, I would not want something that had one thing in one ear and one in the other. And that just could be because of my hearing situation, but I would find that challenging and I'd prefer everything in both ends. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to go out and just buy a real cheapy mixer for uh, uh, under 100 bucks. But just goes to show there are all sorts of inventive ways to get stuff done. Thank you, Brian. And on the same subject, Scott Wood writes, Hi, Jonathan, really enjoying the Sunday morning podcast and was particularly interested in the topic of routing two audio sources through one set of headphones slash hearing aids. I can see how this would work using computer output and a mobile phone using a cheap mixer. But I have a slightly different need. I work for RNIB here in the UK, and while working from home, we're using a soft phone system, which means I am getting audio from calls and JAWS all through the same headphones. In the office, we use a splitter box, which separates the audio into each ear of the headphones. So I get JAWS in one ear and calls in the other. It's interesting that people want this, which makes it easier, he says, to process when dealing with customers. This can be achieved because we use a desk phone, which plugs into the splitter box and is a separate audio source from the PC. We use a set of phono headphones, which allow the source audio to be split. Now, I was wondering whether you or any of your erstwhile listeners, no pressure, listeners, I mean, what makes you think I've got listeners, (laughs) would know of a way that I could separate the channels from JAWS and the remaining computer output into separate channels on the headphones. I know you can separate the output in the volume mixer on the PC, one through the USB headset and the other through the 3.5mm jack, but how do I squeeze those two output channels into one set of USB headphones without compromising the mic? I have had some success with using USB headphones, and a pair of 35 millimeter headphones, but as you can imagine, this ends up with a tangle of wires and precariously balanced headphones on my head. Not ideal. It's like Bartholomew Cubbins, the man of many headphones. <laughs> I know what you're after, and it's interesting that the Windows mixer doesn't do this, I thought it might. It's not something I use very often, but I did take a look after getting your email and it doesn't. So if you go into the little Windows mixer, there's a combo box where you can choose each application that is open and then you can choose what audio device it's playing through and the volume and it's really quite handy. But there does not appear to be a balance control for all of those apps and that's quite a shame. It doesn't fix your problem in the short term, But it might be worth writing to Microsoft Accessibility and suggesting that a balance control be added, because that would be quite powerful, actually. There might be a third-party utility that does this, that essentially does what this little Windows Volume Mixer does, but on steroids and offers things like a balance control and maybe equalization or something like that. So we'll throw this open and see if we get any responses. I, I see. I wouldn't see the facts that everything comes in mono through both ears as a problem. So I've never tried to solve it. So let's see if we can get any help with that. And on a similar subject from Jane Jordan, she says, I have a splitter box at work to answer the phone and hear it in one ear and hear the computer in the other. Who'd have thought this was a thing? I, that would drive me crazy. <laughs> anyway, it's it's obviously a thing. However... She says, "'Now that I am working, I am so much happier. "'We have Skype for Business set up. "'In fact, we've had it all along, "'but I never made the connection.'" Hey, that's a pun there, never made the connection. Not sure if that was deliberate, Jane. I don't need a physical phone to deal with clients and my supervisor, she says. All I have to do is use my USB headset with mic that I just got over the weekend, and I am able to make and receive work calls from my laptop. I wish Skype for Business was a bit more accessible with JAWS, but I make it work. Thanks, Jane. A lot of people are discovering a lot of stuff at the moment. We used Skype for Business when I first started in my current job. But of course, Skype for Business is being phased out. I believe it's within the next year. And Microsoft is moving businesses to Microsoft Teams, which is a quirky environment on the PC, I have to say. It's quirky, but it's doable. I mean, it's usable. And so eventually, I would say that your your place of work will be required to move to Microsoft Teams. But yeah, working with VoIP, Voice Over Internet Protocol, is a great way to work. And I like the fact that my office line is on my PC, it's on my laptop, it's on my iPhone. It is a really cool way to work. Long live the VoIP. That's what I say. Petra is in touch. I have two sharp talking time clocks. She says one talking alarm or just clocks was one from Radio Shack. I think it was a key ring. It was very inexpensive. I think about $15 or less, very small and completely accessible. Good show. Thank you, Petra. It's cool when you find a mainstream thing that just happens to be accessible When my daughter Heidi was five, her mum found this thing called Alphabet Annie and it was a doll and it had the alphabet on the front and the alphabet was also in braille and it talked and sang a song and we we just loved it. And I remember she demonstrated it on main menu, but she was so keen to get out of the studio. Can I go now, Daddy? We have got Tone Matheson. From Norway. Ding, 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 ding. I always wanted one of those wonderful sharp alarm clocks, she says. Some of my friends had them and I wanted one. About 15 years ago, I bought a used one on eBay and it still works wonderfully. It wakes me up every morning and I still love the sound. I also loved and used the Sharp calculator. Mine is from the 1980s. The thing I liked about the Talking Calculator was it would say, time is up in this very sort of serious fatalistic way. Ding, 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 ding. Time is up. Oh, my word. And then it would play the uh, Camp Town Races. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Now, if you have not heard the sharp talking time, Brian Gaff has come to the rescue. This is what it sounds like. Thank you, Brian.
4: It's now 5.12pm.
0: Of course, it has got a timer on it, as I mentioned, so... If I move my little switch underneath,
4: elapsed time every 30 minutes.
0: So when you press the button, you get
4: Six seconds elapsed. elapsed time every five minutes. Five seconds elapsed. elapsed time every
5: minute. One minute elapsed. See, so it does tell you when it's a minute.
0: Quite interesting, really. But um, not a lot of use if you can't stand
1: weird voices, of course.
0: Well, it's not not that bad. It's interesting it's got a kind of a weird clipped effect, so it's going, e, e, elapsed time every minute. E, uh, yeah. But it, it was great for its time, very useful. And what I used to do using one on the radio when I um, worked on commercial radio, we would have network news bulletins that obviously came through at exactly the top of the hour via landline. And so... I would set my talking time in the stopwatch mode. You'd set you'd start it exactly on the pip on the hour of your first show. And so you had the exact time to the second, which was important for timing out. And it would allow me, because the logs um, showed us how long a song was, and so it would allow me to time out every time right to the network news. I would have been really disadvantaged without that cool talking time machine. Tremendous. Mosin at Large Podcast. Here's Carla J. And she says, I have noticed the recent discussion on your Mosin at Large show about tipping. I'm sure you're aware that restaurant staff here in the U.S. are not paid the minimum wage of $7.50 per hour, but a sub-minimum wage of $2.13 per hour, sometimes more depending on the state. This is not, in blocked capitals, a typo. Yes, do not adjust your sets. They are supposed to make up the rest in tips, or the management is supposed to make up the rest for them, but employees dare not ask. I must confess myself to have been shamefully ignorant of their dire economic conditions. There is a wonderful documentary about the issues to be shown again tomorrow, May the 18th. So that, of course, has been now. It does not, in blocked capitals, have audio description, alas. But you'd have to be a stone not to get the point. If I ever eat out again in a restaurant, very low on my to-do list, I will be the most generous of tippers. Though by Florida standards, usually retirees give 10%. Yikes, she adds, I already am. On another note, because I am stuck here and trying to get up north, we up north, since March, I did in the end cancel the phone soap. They were lovely once I got in touch with them. Thanks so much for your show, she concludes. Well, thank you for your contribution, Carla. And it is a point well made. Roy made a similar point a couple of weeks ago. And that's why I always do tip when I'm in the U.S. I think it is important. Because we're all human beings and we all got to eat, right? And that's why I tip. So in New Zealand, it's a very different system where we don't have those kinds of low wages and tipping is actively discouraged here in this country. But when in Rome and all of that stuff, you know, so when in the United States, I do tip. And if you are a tourist going to the United States, I strongly encourage you to tip, even if it's not the practice in your country, because the people who are serving you at tables and... In hotels and all those places, they're not responsible for the culture. They don't make the laws, they're just trying to make a living.
4: Hi
1: Jonathan. An issue I'm having now is my TV remote, my from my Panasonic TV from twenty thirteen. Pressing channel buttons no longer work. Same goes with the input. Buttons when I change from Chromecast back to TV. No longer works and vice versa. The TV's working fine. The TV is, uh, was, well, was working until I had the issues with the remote. That I can turn it on and off, but when I went to try and get it out of Chromecast mode, I, I, well, it doesn't seem to work because when I turn it off, after playing a Chromecast video and then try and press the channel button nothing happens. I've read all about Universal remotes, but I'm still a bit confused in what, how they work and how I could probably get one to work with this TV.
0: Uh, good to hear from you, David. No good when your remote is on the blink. The first thing to establish would be, is it absolutely the remote control? And I presume you've done the obvious things, like make sure that you have a fresh set of batteries in the remote, and then whether the buttons are sticky, whether there's been some spillage or something like that that means that the buttons aren't pressing correctly in some way. Because I think what you'd need to establish is whether it is actually the remote control or whether it's the receiver on the TV receiving the signals from the remote control. And that's a much more serious business potentially because that's a hardware fault that's developed with the TV. And no matter what you do, you won't be able to fix it without some help from Panasonic I presume you've done the obvious and called Panasonic, the distributor for Panasonic here in New Zealand, and asked for a replacement model for the remote control. Even if they don't have the exact remote for your 2013 TV, it could be that they have a remote that sends the same signal. I think the problem that you have is if it's the remote control device itself that's on the blink, you wouldn't be able to teach a universal remote control how to control your TV because it's not sending the signal. The remote control you have is not sending the signal. There may be some universal remotes that have a series of common TVs that you can set them up for to control, in which case you would be in luck. And actually, this opens a really interesting discussion because I think there are some talking remote controls out there for TVs. I'm not aware of any for the New Zealand market. And as I mentioned last week, when we took a look at the new Sony TV that we have, Models vary around the world, but I suspect the remote controls are similar in terms of the signals that they send. So if anyone has any thoughts on universal remotes that have some accessibility features, that would be a really useful discussion. And I'm sure that many people would find that helpful to hear about. But for your situation, David, I would definitely get in touch with the Panasonic distributors. If that fails, Trade Me might be another potential option, which for those listening around the world who don't know is kind of like the eBay of New Zealand. Good luck. Uh,
4: This is Matthew from the state of Texas. Welcome. And uh, I'm a first-time caller, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, You know the drill there. Um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I was listening to your podcast on the iPhone XS Max because I recently, uh, just a couple of days ago, got an iPhone 11 and I was listening to the section about setting up Face ID and I really liked the analogy of uh, that your daughter Heidi gave you of using your nose like the hand of an analog clock. Uh, that really helped me set up Face ID quickly and efficiently. So thank you for that tidbit of information. I'm sure sh- sure it will come in useful to other face id users as well keep up the good work it's a great podcast i really enjoyed listening to both new and old episodes and i've really enjoyed the work that you've done in the blindness field over the years
0: thank you i really appreciate that and i must say heidi really does have that ability sometimes you just find a sighted person that gets it in terms of how to explain something to a blind person, her mum has that ability as well. She'd make a great O&M instructor actually. And I certainly did appreciate that tip that we included in the podcast as I was learning how to set up face ID in real time. Brian Barowski is back. And he said that the clock, the talking time came out in 1980 We got one at the university radio station where a couple of us worked for the summer in early June. I think it came from a local camera store, and the guy brought it to us because he thought it would be useful. It was. We got a couple of them after that for ourselves, my wife and I, and used them for many years. I still have them, but both have stopped talking out the speaker. I know that they're working because I can put an AM radio by the clock and hear the timing oscillator running. And when you push the button, you can hear the thing talking. Always have used an AM radio tuned to an empty place on the dial to diagnose various things relating to electronics, old computers and equipment that you can't know whether it's working or off, etc. The radio thing goes back into the early 60s when people wanted to know what the old computers were doing when there was more limited I.O., I.O., I.O. Well, that's really interesting, Brian. I never thought of using an AM radio. And, of course, one of the downsides of trying that now is the electromagnetic interference from everything that's around these days. But that's a really cool trick. And I do something similar with the hearing loop function on my hearing aids. I can't say there are many advantages of having a hearing impairment. What? 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 But one of them is being able to do that. So one of the things that astounds me about the iPhone after all these years and all of Apple's commitment to accessibility is that when you power up an iPhone, you don't get a nice vibration to tell you that it's powering up. Even the Nokia phones did this. So I presume it's some sort of philosophical objection to it that Steve Jobs had or something. But it is annoying. But one of the things I do, you know, if voiceover's not talking or I'm not sure if it's powering up, is flick over to the hearing loop mode on my hearing aid. Then I can hear the electromagnetic interference coming through. It's very loud and clear. And I know that the phone is booting up. And I can do with all sorts of things. Laptops. I mean, admittedly, it's kind of weird, weird putting a laptop to your ear. But I do this all the time. You know, sometimes... Bonnie's laptop gets into some sort of state where, I don't know, maybe she shut it down in standby or something and we don't know where it's at, and I can at least tell when it's powered on. Amazing!
5: Jonathan
4: Mosen, Mosen at
0: It's time for another exciting episode of... Tiffany...
4: Tiffany... Tiffany... Tiffany
0: Report. Oh man, it's still as naff a jingle as ever, but I've remixed it now, so at least it's in stereo and not in the boring old mono it was in last week's show. So now, we are on to topic two from Tiffany Jessen's massive email, and it says, In episode 34, I believe people were mentioning things they have done in isolation in order to feel better, inquiring of others for suggestions. I use Outlook Tasks and have a huge... Yes, she says, that's both bold and italic list of things I need or otherwise want to do. I make it a point to not only address, but complete at least three of these major projects a week, trying for five... Yes, it does sound sick, or at the very least a little OCD, but it's very satisfying to see that you have accomplished something and marked it off as complete. These are all outside of daily running life-slash-household things, like laundry. Some require doing major research before buying something, like a new appliance, Other things require studying manuals to learn to use or put things together, and still others just take time and thought to properly compose meaningful compositions for different purposes, like this. I have waited until the end of my IRA cycle to see how much time I have left, then prioritize the tasks which I value most, I've gone on major cleaning extravaganzas, flushing out closets and drawers, donating clothing and other items, shredded boxes full of papers for hours at a time. Oh, you sound like Richard Nixon. (laughs) Besides my regular scrubbing locations to a higher degree, I have even used Ira to find cobwebs up by the ceiling corners and things which I don't generally bother looking for. With both a black lab and a fluffy black house rabbit, my house is often loaded in fur, even if I do vacuum twice a week. One item on my list to research is a Roomba or other robotic vacuum, if others have model suggestions to look for or avoid. Yes, I'd be interested in that too, actually, Tiffany. I'd like to revisit the robotic vacuum space again. She continues, the rabbit does not live in a cage, so ideally I would like to be able to set it to a nighttime hour when she is safely under my bed. Her litter boxes do have a big lip to hop over, so I'm sure they will be safe from any incidents with the vacuum. Thank you, Tiffany. It's a great idea to use this time if you still are in lockdown to the max and get things done. It's a wonderful time to take up meditation or. Learn a programming language or do something you've always wanted to do, right? A lot of this is about getting in the right headspace. So well done for that. And also, I'd love to hear people's feedback on robotic vacuum cleaners. And don't worry, there will be another installment, at least, at least another installment in future episodes of the Tiffany, Tiffany,
5: Tiffany, Tiffany report. report. Hey, Jonathan, Nick Zamorelli. have a question. That I'm thinking about, as a result of all this talk about uh, Windows mixers and so forth, uh, I recently bought a USB extender to use with my Lenovo C930 Yoga laptop. Because, as you know, Lenovo Yoga machines are are very very good, but they are not loaded with USB ports. So I bought this extender, and uh, recently, when I plugged my also newly purchased Samsung Q2U microphone into the extender. I lost JAWS. I, I, I don't know what the heck's going on. Uh, and your recent comments about the Windows Mixer reminded me that maybe I could make some adjustments there. Can you make any suggestions as to the adjustments that I might make so that I don't use, lose the screen reader when I plug the Q2U into the extender. That would be very helpful. I always thought I had only one sound card option, but maybe you can tell me different. Also, very interesting about the potential multi-gesture options that are going to be included with a new version of Google Talkback. And my question is, although I'm not too concerned about it because I have a Samsung phone and I use Samsung Voice Assistant, do we have to wait for a whole new version of Android or can we simply wait for a new version of Google Talkback? right now on my Samsung galaxy S 10 E I'm running the latest version of Android, which is Android 10. Uh, one more thing before I wrap up, I'm having issues with my we walk. I haven't forgotten that I'm going to do a demo for you, but I'm having an issue where the, uh, the cane <coughs> Itself, it's not issues necessarily with the tech, but the hardware itself, the cane itself, is not very t- tight when I unfold it. It's, it seems to be very loose. And uh, I've contacted the WeWalk people. I'm waiting for a response from them to see how we can get this repaired. Once that happens, I will do a demo for you on that.
0: I have been following the WeWalk people on Twitter. And I see that they now have a new version of WeWalk with some sort of additional features. So that's inevitable, isn't it? You get the first version of a product, and then they get feedback. And if they're a customer-focused company, and if there are resources available, then they will enhance it. And that appears to be what's happened. Now, your issue with the JAWS Q2U is very easily fixed. The reason why your speech goes away when you plug the Q2U into the USB like that is because the Q2U also acts as an audio device. There's a headphone jack in the back of the Q2U. So when you plug it in, Windows is deciding that the Q2U is now the Windows default sound card. It is a bit of an annoying habit of Windows to do this, that when it sees a new audio device, it automatically assigns that as the default sound card. And this can happen even if you plug the same audio device into another USB port, it's going to do that as well. There's a way to fix this when you're playing with audio in JAWS because JAWS also uses, by default, the default Windows audio device. And that means that if you plug something like this in and there's a headphone jack in the Q2U, JAWS is going to be routed to the default audio device, which is now the Q2U, the headphone jack in the Q2U. The way to stop this from happening is to specify an audio device that JAWS should use in every situation. And the way to do that is to go into the JAWS window and then go into utilities and from the utilities menu choose sound card. And from there you can choose the specific audio device that you always want JAWS to use. You'll see that it's set to Windows default by default. But if you set it to your default audio device, uh, ...that you usually use... ...when you plug in the QTU. after that... ...Jaws will continue to use that device... ...so that's how you can get around that. While we're talking about Jaws... ...I'm really pleased to say... ...that Jaws has come out... ...or is coming out in June in fact... ...in the June update they are saying... ...with a feature that is going to make a big difference... ...to those of us running laptops... ...with these real tech sound drivers... ...or if you're using Bluetooth headsets... ...in either case... Hibernation is going on to save power. And so what often happens is that the first few milliseconds of speech is cut off. If you haven't been using your speech for a while, it's just long enough to be annoying and for you to miss certain speech. And if you're like many of us who are proficient with typing, you have your keyboard echo set completely to off. So you're typing away, but then you want to press a command to hear what is happening And that command takes a while to respond because the sound card has to wake up. The way that I recommended we get around this, thanks to a tip-off that I got when I raised this on my blog, was there is a free utility called Silenzio that you can run. And what it's doing is sending silence to the sound card to keep the sound card open. Now JAWS is effectively having a Silenzio-like function built in, according to their most recent FS Open line. And that is coming in the June update. So it will be in Settings Center and you'll be able to enable this and there'll be no need for Silenzio because it will just keep the sound card alive and bye-bye problem. So I am super pleased that JAWS is adding that feature and I know many others will be too. Nick, you are asking, do we have to wait for the new version of Android or will there be an update to talk back? The answer is you will have to wait for Android 11. The reason for that is that multi-touch gestures are just not supported in the default Android accessibility API at the moment. And one of the criticisms that people have leveled at the Samsung screen reader is that they're using a very old version of a modified talkback or accessibility API. I don't know enough about Android to comment on that, but people are saying that one of the trade-offs you make by using the Samsung product is, yes, you get the multi-touch gestures and it kind of looks and feels more familiar to those people who are coming from iOS, but you don't get some of the accessibility benefits that have accrued from newer versions of TalkBack and the accessibility API. So one would think that when the new version of Android hits your phone, And who knows when that will be, because we know how long it can take for Android devices to propagate. Then you will get uh, a new version of TalkBack that is compatible with that new version of Android. One would hope that TalkBack will be there with uh, these new gestures and showcasing them. And then uh, exciting times will be ahead. On the show last week, I made a throwaway remark about let's get rid of cash because it's filthy and dirty and COVID-19 has exposed its filthy, dirty side. They don't call it filthy lucre for nothing, you know. But this has inspired Petra to write in with what she calls her case for cash. It'd be quite nice to know you, Petra, if you had a case of cash, if you were going to give the case of cash to me. But no, I wouldn't want it because it's filthy and dirty. Anyway, she says, My case for cash. Hi, Jonathan. I like Apple Pay and using debit cards when I shop. But, when I ask a neighbour to pick something up for me, or when I buy their fresh eggs, I need cash. It doesn't bother me to handle money. I guess I don't think of it as dangerous to my health. Good discussion. Congratulations on New Zealand's opening. I can't wait to be free. Well, Petra, there are ways around this. One of the things that we have here as a very electronic-oriented banking culture Is that you can text money to people. All you need is their cell phone number and you can send them a text with money, which they can then claim. So that's easily done. I also think it will be possible to have some sort of contactless transfer between accounts using a card. So you could have a card, your neighbor with the eggs could have a card, and you could have some means of determining how much money is being transferred and transfer it in a contactless way. In the 21st century, after we've put people on the moon, oh, we probably couldn't do that at the moment. (laughs) But there must be ways that we can make this happen for everybody. Certainly here, if you've got a mobile phone, it is very easy to transfer money from one person's bank account to another. And a mobile phone is all it takes.
6: Hey Jonathan, this is Vincent from the Netherlands. Hey Vincent! Uh, sending in a brief message here regarding a few things. First of all, a few weeks ago I bought one of those new, newly designed, redesigned MSA bridge keyboards for your iPad. And uh, now I have an iPad mini and the bridge keyboard. Uh, which is accompanying it now right now is really fine uh, Love it to use it and it gives your iPad much more of a keyboard feel. It really is a, a Blessing to type on and it, it, it really feels great. It's not mechanical But it, it it's just a laptop feel that you would expect from a premium laptop keyboard works wonderfully um, Just wanted to mention if you want a high quality keyboard for your uh, iPad If you have one, uh, Bridge is the place to go to, and you spell it B-R-Y-D-G-E. Other thing I would love to talk about is the ability of using cheat sheets. And I love my cheat sheets as well. I've used them in the past. I remember writing Word documents on my computer with uh, all kinds of usable things about recorders or other stuff I'm using. But now we've got much more mobile. Uh, I would love to port that more to the phone of I or the pad of I, uh, whatever. I uh, was visiting two friends of mine who are a couple. So that is allowed um, and totally uh, within the rules of our lockdown situation. uh, Our intelligent lockdown, I must say, um, here in the Netherlands. Uh, Our prime minister calls it that way. So I went to their apartment building and I always have to call them when I uh, arrive there for look what was the, the the exact button to ring your doorbell and they always they, they always tell me but I on the way back I was thinking like wouldn't it be cool if I just know instantly which bell to ring without checking without calling without drawing too too so much attention to me so I thought on my way back would uh, I should write down those instructions so uh, at home, I uh, pulled up my iPad and that uh, uh, previously uh, mentioned bridge keyboard, and I wrote out what I've learned uh, that day uh, for future examination when I uh, need it again, when I'm going to visit them. Um, But I was thinking, uh, what what would be the benefits of using a tool like Ulysses for that? Um, I don't mind investing in a tool like Ulysses, and I'm I'm really curious to try it. But what would bring Ulysses to the table uh, above Apple Notes for a situation like this? And I'm, I'm absolutely sure you can do much more with Ulysses, like writing documents and stuff. And I'm, I'm I'm really want to try that as well. I'm already journaling on my iPad with the Day One app, which has always also been um, mentioned on your shows before. But I'm really curious about this one.
0: Thank you very much, Vincent. Yeah, your cheat sheet will tell on you. Yeah. Well, first of all, before we get to the cheat sheets, thoroughly agree with you regarding the Bridge keyboard. They are absolutely fantastic. And I have one for my iPad Pro, and they're beautiful to type on. And what's more, they kind of have this really classy sort of metallic exterior, not like the – I mean, I haven't actually seen the new Apple Magic keyboard for the iPad that has the built-in trackpad, and apparently that's quite nice. But the old iPad keyboards were kind of, I don't know, junky, I feel, you know, kind of really flimsy. And the bridge keyboard – when you put the iPad in the top, it sort of mounts it like a like a laptop screen, and it kind of looks like a little MacBook. I think the bridge keyboards have been modified on the days when MacBook keyboards were good. They're good again, actually, because they got rid of the uh, horrible, what do they call the butterfly keyboards now. But they are lovely keyboards. If you're really serious about using the iPad for a lot of things, The bridge keyboards are are worth investing in. They're gorgeous keyboards. Absolutely. So thoroughly agree with your endorsement. Now, cheat sheets. Yes, cheat sheets are wonderful things. And these days, when we're mobile, we really want to have them with us. Why do I use Ulysses specifically? Because you could potentially use the Notes app for cheat sheets. And the Notes app is built into iOS. So it's a fair question. Why would you invest in something else when you've got something on your phone already. But let let me see how many reasons I can think of off the cuff because your email just came in. The first is that sometimes I write my cheat sheets on my PC like you do in Microsoft Word. And then I want to get them into something I can use on my iPhone. I'm not a big fan of the Word app in iOS. I find it clunky. It's not that it's not accessible. It's just really, really clunky and time consuming to use. Ulysses will import Word documents directly. So you can save the Word document, say, to Dropbox or some other source to which Ulysses has access, and then you can import it directly into the Ulysses app. When you've done that, you may want to do a second thing that is a real benefit of Ulysses. And to give you a practical example of this, let me talk about what I did with the Zoom F6 which we've talked about on this show before, and Gary did a great demonstration in episode 35 of the Mozart at Large podcast. It's got an app, a companion app, but not all the features of the recorder are accessible from that app. And so you are going to have to learn a few combinations of key sequences. And obviously, because the F6 is a field recorder, it's a mobile device, and I want to check the cheat sheet on the iPhone. In a Word document what I would do is sort of set each different section as a heading and then I can use the JAWS quick keys to navigate from heading to heading to look for what I want. In Ulysses, what I did was I imported that complete Word document, the complete cheat sheet that I assembled, but then I moved through the document and when it came to a new set of instructions for a new function, I invoked the Ulysses split function. Think of it like file explorer or finder where you can have groups and then subgroups and then sub subgroups. So I created a subgroup called cheat sheets and I have stuff for the TV and different things like that. I created a subgroup called F6 and under that subgroup are individual what Ulysses calls sheets and each sheet is its own set of instructions for a specific function. And Ulysses has a preview feature, much like the email feature in iOS, where you can get the first few lines of an email. Usually, for basic functions, having a sheet for each of the F6 functions I need to consult about gives me enough of a preview to know what to do. So it's a really efficient thing. The other thing I would say is that in your situation... When you were memorizing buttons on an outdoor system to get into a particular apartment, Ulysses has a great Siri function. So you can set it up to you you could create a cheat sheets, a group in Ulysses, and then you could assign a Siri shortcut that creates a new cheat sheet in that folder. So you could just say to Siri, new cheat sheet, and then you could start dictating. It may not be perfect, but you'd at least get the salient points into Ulysses straight away, and then you could refine it when you got home and you were back to your keyboard again. It is all in iCloud, so even if you did it on your iPhone, it would still be available to you in Ulysses on your iPad. And then I'll finish where I started. If you need to get that stuff back onto your PC, Ulysses will export to very good quality Microsoft Word again, so you can have that material on your PC as well. And it will even go to PDF and anything that you really care to name. So for Cheat Sheets, Ulysses is the most brilliant app that I have found. Kathy Blackburn is in touch from Austin, and I know that Audley is a huge baseball fan if you gave Audley the choice between this show and a baseball game, no competition. He'd choose the baseball every time. Not so sure about Kathy, but presumably she is a bit of a fan. She says, in South Korea, the Korean baseball organization has been playing in empty ballparks. ESPN has been broadcasting the games. Maybe the time difference for you wouldn't be as outrageous as it is for us. There's a website set up by a fan in the United States where you can find the schedule and statistics. It is www.mykbo.net. That's www.mykbo.net. Well, just before New Zealand went into lockdown, there was a cricket match between New Zealand and Australia, a one-day international, played in, I think it was Sydney. Gosh, it was a strange time. I think it was the Friday of the week before everything went boom and we all went into lockdown. And they played that match. So it was a full one-day international. So it went for eight hours in a stadium. Pretty sure it was the SCG. And normally they would be absolutely full to the brim with New Zealand and Australian cricket fans and the thing was empty. I have to say, it was one of the most surreal, dystopian things I've heard. Cricket being commentated as normal in a completely empty stadium.
4: Hi, this is Irene and um, I was wondering, has anybody ever talked about using the L Braille or if they haven't, um, because
7: I've heard other people talk about the Polaris and some
4: other Braille displays.
7: But I was wondering if anybody had any comments on the L Braille.
0: Thank you, Irene. It's nice to hear from you, and I'm trying not to burst into song. I do like that, Irene. Good night. But you probably get that all the time, and I'm sure it infuriates you. So I won't do it. Maria Christic raised the L Braille question a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen the new one, but looking at the specs, it seems like a really attractive proposition because it gives you that solid benefit No Bluetooth between the Braille display and the centerpiece. It's actually physically clipped in there. And you've got the benefit of a full Windows machine with all the Windows apps and the robust JAWS Braille support. So the first L Braille was great, and I did use that, but it was a little on the slow side. But even then I was able to do audio production with it and a range of things. Certainly word processing and email wasn't a problem. So yeah, I imagine that the the new old Braille is cooking.
1: Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast.
0: Email from Edwin. or oh, there could be another series. Email from Edwin. And he says, hope this email finds you well. Have been listening to your Mosen at Large podcast and enjoying every bit of it. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. He says, I'm planning to replace my aging Yamaha mixer board. I understand you were using an Allen & Heath mixer. Yes, the Z22FX is what I'm using. I wonder what made you take the plunge to purchase your existing model rather than brands like Mackie or Yamaha. Also, have you had any experience or looked at the DNR DJ mixers before? And do you think it's even worthwhile investing in one? Good to hear from you, Edwin, and hope you're doing well. I have heard of them, and one of the things that I quite enjoy doing occasionally when these sorts of emails come in is watching some YouTube videos. YouTube is a really good source of information, and bear in mind that anybody can be a publisher these days on YouTube, so some of the information may not be fully accurate and it's one person's opinion, but you can still get some pretty good uh, demos, and over time. You get to know who does really good demos of these things. So I've checked out a few YouTube videos on the DNR mixers. They seem to specialize in broadcast consoles, and they look really good. Some of them have telephone hybrid type setups in them. And I don't know how useful that is really in this day and age. My previous mixer, which was an Axle digital broadcast console, had two telephone hybrids built in, but it really was designed for live on-air work. With the Allen & Heath, it kind of does the best of both worlds. So I can do live broadcasting on Mushroom FM, and I do that by connecting my mixer to the Complete Audio 6, which is an audio interface, so I just send analog output to that. The Z22FX does have one USB port, so it can act as kind of like an audio interface in its own right. In terms of why I chose it, I did the reviews, the comments on the preamps, the quality of the gear, the fact that it has real faders and give me faders anytime so you can sort of understand the the relativity of all the channels. And really just the, the kind of hybrid, the combination of being able to do live and production work. I use this in Reaper. I use it on the air. So it suits me well. If I was working exclusively with Reaper and not doing live radio, I probably would have made a different choice and would make a different choice now. So the one thing I would say is really understand what your specific use case is. What do you want to use this mixer for? What do you want to get done? And then talk to an audio professional or find an appropriate sub forum on Reddit. There are all sorts of audio geeks geeking out on Reddit, all sorts of places you can go to get quality advice. If you're really particular about the way something looks and feels. And you can get into a physical store. That's always fun to get your hands on one and just see what it feels like to drive the thing. Hi, Jonathan, says this email. Chris from the UK here. Like you, I'm blind and also a hearing aid wearer. What? 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 Oh, however, mine are currently the bone-anchored sort until I'm able to get the bones in my ears fixed to go back to conventional hearing aids. I'm currently working from home as a government employee and seriously thinking of getting a sound mixer to solve my complicated work setup. For communicating with internal employees, I use Microsoft Teams with JAWS, Google Meet and Zoom is blocked by our firewall. For communicating with external contractors, like other government employees, I use Google Hangout, Skype and Zoom on my MacBook Pro with VoiceOver. Actually, prefer Google Meet on the Mac. I've also got an iPhone connected directly to my hearing aids, but since iOS 13, Bluetooth refuses to let go of my hearing devices even after VoiceOver and Audio stops. I've heard of this with some hearing aids, Chris. That would frustrate the soup out of me. I guess I just got very lucky with... The model of hearing aids that I have, the Oticon OPN-S1, because it's never done it. But I know that it has done it for a lot of hearing aid wearers. And so I really empathize with that predicament. That is nasty. And it's just terrible that here we are in May now. And that is still not fixed for some in the iOS 13 cycle. Shameful. He continues, I've got a Samsung Q2U microphone, currently connected to my devices by USB, still have the XLR cable, and instead of headphones, I use the 3.5mm out on my Surface Pro or Mac to stream directly to my hearing aids. Dude, he says, with all this cable swapping, I feel like an old-fashioned telephone operator. I would ideally like to be able to connect a microphone audio in and out from my Surface and Mac to a mixer, and the iPhone too. This would give me one microphone and audio outsource for all my devices. Is it possible to connect a sound mixer to two devices at the same time via USB so my microphone can be heard in both the Mac and Surface Pro? If I connected the iPhone using the camera kit, would the microphone from the mixer be picked up from there also? Do any mixer models spring to mind that would provide such a solution? Money isn't really an issue. Oh, well, I'm sorry you just missed my birthday then, Chris. So I don't need to consider a cheaper model. Perhaps something like the Z10FX, if you think the USB side would meet my requirements. Happy to consider all recommendations and suggestions. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you very much, Chris. I believe this should be possible. I think you could find a mixer that has more than one USB port. I'm not sure if the Z10FX does or not. My Z22FX only has one USB port, but you might be able to then connect two devices and send audio from your mixer to both those devices. That should absolutely be possible. Then what you'd have is for everything that you connect to the mixer, you would have a separate channel for each device. So in theory, it should work. I know that the Soundcraft signature devices have multiple USB ports, and they have a multi-track version as well. I don't really claim to have a lot of knowledge of all the various mixers on the market today. I went shopping for my current mixer about three or four years ago. And while I kind of take a passing interest, it's not something that I keep watch of because what I have is working for me. There are ways you could do it in analog as well, such as purchasing a lightning-based device that effectively acts as a sound card that has little inputs and outputs, so that would be possible as well. And then you could use an analog mixer. So what I'd suggest is either find a Reddit subgroup or email list or potentially if you've got an audio place near you who knows what they're doing and are taking phone calls at the moment, because I know the UK is sort of quite locked down at the moment, see if you can call someone and explain this scenario to them. Hopefully you could find an audio geek who understands what you're saying because it's really clear to me what it is that you want and they can find a product for you. What I found really good is that the audio place that I use a lot in Wellington, we're best buds we are, and they know that I have accessibility requirements and quite particular requirements. And if I get a piece of gear that doesn't meet my needs, if I return it in good shape and with the packaging – they're really good about letting me swap it out for something until I'm happy with it. So that's a great relationship to have. Somebody may have done exactly what you want to do, and if that's the case, then we look forward to some contributions with recommendations for a mixer that will do that if you want to go down the USB route.
4: Hello, Jonathan, it's Grace here. I have a clock which I bought from Cobalt Systems, And I thought I would demonstrate it for you. Timer with report. Auto-repeat timer. Stopwatch. Alarm clock. I'll let you hear the alarms it has once I get into that. I'll set set alarm. Minutes. Volume 8. Alarm. Sound. how it sounds it has 11 alarms and i think that's great really
0: that's sounds like a fun clock and don't you think the voice on that clock sounded quite a lot like brian gaff maybe it is maybe it's brian gaff moonlighting moonlighting with the with the with the the people who make that clock that's quite cool a lot of variety there These days, what I do for an alarm, and this is a really cool tip for those who have hearing impairments and who struggle hearing alarms sometimes with hearing aids out, is I charge my Apple Watch at other times of the day, when I'm in the shower or something like that, and then I wear it overnight. In fact, I often put it on charge also when I've done my rings for the day, when my move and stand and exercise goals are done. Then I put it on charge and then it's really on a full charge when I go to sleep and the vibrations of the alarm do wake me up. I know some people who need them have things that shake the bed, man, and all kinds of crazy things. And I did have a thing called a TCL pulse for a while. I don't think that's a thing anymore. I don't think it is, but I haven't needed it since I got the Apple Watch. But you would put this under your pillow and it would vibrate and that would be enough to wake me up as well. David Meller writes, hello, Jonathan. I just found your Mosin at Large podcast and listened to I believe it was episode 35 regarding the demo of the Zoom F6 handheld recorder. I'm in the market for a new handheld recorder as my Olympus DS50 has bit the big one. Another one bites the duster. Unfortunately, the Zoom F6 is out of my price range. I'm also behind on audio. My knowledge stops at the DS50. I don't know about multi-track, MS microphone patterns. I'm quite out of date, so I'm not sure how to find a recorder that will fit me. My goal is podcasting and some possible night sounds and nature recordings. I was wondering if you or your listeners know of a recorder around the $150 price range, talking menus plus, but if it's usable from a blindness perspective, that works. I do have Android devices, so any app would have to be usable on that platform. Physical buttons are also a plus. Thanks very much, David. The Zoom F6 is definitely in a different category from the Olympus DS50, which is more of a hobby recorder, whereas the Zoom F6 would be designed for professional work. So there is a difference in the price point because of that. But my recommendation would be that perhaps an app for your Android device and a good microphone would be sufficient. There are some good audio apps, and I was reading recently, in fact, that some Android devices are even capable of doing 32-bit float recording like the Zoom F6 does. Now, obviously, you won't have the lovely preamps of the Zoom F6, but the fact that there are Android devices that are apparently doing 32-bit float recording at all is pretty impressive. So what you might find satisfactory is getting some sort of adapter that will connect a good quality microphone to your Android device and invest probably just just a few dollars, I would think, in a good quality Android recording app, and that may well be able to do it for you. You can take the recordings off the Android app and put it in Dropbox or somewhere where you can get at them and edit them in your digital audio workstation of choice. So there may well be some recorders in your price range that talk. It's not something I've looked for, but... There's a possible solution. Others may well be able to suggest a piece of hardware for you. But I always reckon if you can do something effectively on the device you're carrying around with you anyway, why lumber yourself with another device to charge and take care of and potentially lose? Now, Petra is back on the subject of talking clocks, and she reminds us that there was a kind of a hurry-up mode on those original sharp talking times that we all enjoy so much. And there seems to be a consensus that, you know, that was, that was the sweet spot for talking clogs. And I'd forgotten about this, but she's absolutely right, that if you, say, set an alarm for 7 o'clock and the alarm went off and you didn't do anything to cancel the alarm, it would then come back five minutes later and say something like, attention, please, it's now 7.05 a.m., Please hurry. And then it would play the tune again. I don't remember how often it did that. In other words, if you if you didn't cancel the alarm, did it go off at 7.10? I think it did at least go off at the 10. I don't know whether it kept doing it forever or whether it gave up. I think it might have given up. After 7.10, I mean, there wasn't a lot of room on those things. The other thing I do remember about the sharp talking clock that was fun, the, the talking time, and I've talked about this before, was it had a volume knob on it, and it clicked off kind of like a transistor radio. In fact, it felt a little bit like a transistor radio, but with a button on the front. And if you turned it off and back on again quickly enough, you could really confuse it. And I remember the kids at school just laughing hysterically because I was getting it into modes where it would say things like it's bee 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 bee, bee a clock or it's minute minute AM you could really do some crazy stuff and you could actually make it make sounds that it didn't actually make but it had the, in the normal course of running but had capacity on the chip apparently to make it was really cool fun and sometimes you'd really get it angry and it would make this very weird sort of eh, noise and When it did that, you'd have to take the battery out and put it in again, and you'd be worried about having broken your talking clock and wondering what the parentals would say.
3: Hey, Jonathan, it's Mike Fair. I used to have a sharp calculator, still do, buried in a drawer somewhere. It was kind of superseded for me by the Eureka A4 when I got that because it, of course, had a built-in calculator and wonderful, powerful alarm clock, um, which my friend took advantage of in this epic prank he did, Adam was uh, over visiting me, and he's fully sighted. And he basically, I had this Eureka hooked into my stereo because it just sounded cool kind of uh, to my ears, and I, I uh, could sort of patch cord it in. Uh, when I left the room uh, to help Dad with something downstairs, I didn't realize that the print manual for the Eureka was left out on the, the desk, and, and that print manual had the Braille Numbers and alphabet, uh, and the keys written out for for sighted people uh, in it, and he figured this out. And while I, I couldn't have been gone for more than ten minutes helping mom and dad, but during that time he figured out how to set my alarm, and so at like three in the morning. Uh, the next morning, it went off, and it starts off with, Good morning, da-na-na-na. Na, na. And, of course, I had it hooked through my stereo. <laughs> yeah. So it was blasting through my stereo. And, of course, if you don't get up right away, it increases its ire and, you know, its... uh it reminds you of the time and then da-na-na-na, na, na, you know. And then if you if you wait long enough, it starts going, wake up, da-na-na-na-na, na, na, na. wake up, da-na-na-na. Na, na. <laughs> it, it was crazy. So that that was probably the most epic prank uh, so far in our relationship of, of many years. I've known Adam since high school.
0: Those Eurekas were very aggressive if you left them long enough and they're allowed wake up. Oh, boy, they were angry, yeah. Tech pranks are fun. And one of the tech pranks that I used to love playing, because being in New Zealand, we were always early adopters of new keynotes technology. And I do remember one day going through the class full of keynotes and using the custom dictionary to reprogram them, you know, the pronunciation dictionary. I changed the word main to be pronounced as food. And then I changed the word... File to be pronounced as dish and a few others. So basically, when people turned on the keynote in the morning, they got food menu, and then as you arrow through, it was edited dish, printed dish, dish commands, and everybody was just totally bamboozled about what had happened to their keynotes. Live, it's Bonnie Mosen. Hello. Welcome to you. Hello. Uh, yeah, are you going to get up to the microphone there? Someone's Tremendous. been sitting in my chair. Fumble, fumble. Oh, sounds like Goldilocks. Oh. Well, what's happening with you? Um,
7: just um, been back at work in the office for yes. a week now. So, so we should
0: give people a bit of a coronavirus update. Yes. All these really cool surveys are showing New Zealanders having led the world in its coronavirus response, which is all very gratifying. So we locked down very hard and very quickly. But we've had days of lots of days of zero cases, and then every so often we get one from a known cluster. And I suppose the big thing that's happened this week in the coronavirus department is that we now have this uh, NZ COVID-19 tracing mm-hmm. app. Yep. And it is accessible on iOS. But one of the things we can say is that it's not exactly that blind friendly in the sense that at the moment it's dependent on QR codes. Yeah, you have to find the QR code. Yeah, businesses are supposed to have this poster (laughs) or sign or something and you take a picture of the QR code and it records all the details and everything so that uh, if you are contacted and told that you might have been exposed to COVID-19, you can then elect to share the data with government. So all the data is stored on your device, although you do have to log in and that data is stored on an Amazon Web Services thing in Sydney. So, you know, it's an, I was relieved to see that it's accessible on iOS and I think they are looking at integrating the Google yeah. and Apple contact tracing API. But for now, it could be a bit of a mission trying to find that yeah. barcode. What
7: I've been doing is when I go in somewhere, I'll just say, do I need to sign in? Because sometimes they don't even ask me. So I'm proactive about it. Mm. So and then they oh yeah yeah so I'm like
0: okay. yeah yeah so what like, I yeah, find blind
7: people do get coronavirus too so yes yes you know. they
0: do what I have found helpful is to use Foursquare or Swarm yeah I to should start doing because because basically all that this app is doing is helping you to remember where you've been yeah so I start you doing could that. easily as a blind person just do the same thing with Swarm and then if you are exposed to COVID nineteen which given that there's only I think ninety five or ninety six percent of all anyone who's ever had COVID nineteen in this country is now recovered. Yeah. Uh, so we're in remarkable shape. I mean remarkable shape. But the chances that I but if you did, you could go back through your swarm history mm-hmm. and see where you've been and it, it achieves the same purpose.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I should start checking in. I haven't really been going that many places. No. I just just kinda go it's not I've been to the mall a couple of times. It's shopping is not that much fun right now because you can't really. I mean, I guess you could, but I don't know how it'd be perceived touching clothes and that sort of thing to look at them. So it's can't not touch this. Yeah. So I've been to. I've been to one cafe. I walked all the way up there hoping they would have a really good soup because that's what I wanted. Yes. I wasn't
0: ready to bleep the bleeper. And they
7: had pumpkin
0: <laughs> soup. There we go. Ugh, Which is
7: okay, gross. but it's not it's, what
0: I would want it. Soup and okay do not belong. Ugh, so, yeah. So I've been to okay, of, do not belong in the same I've been sentence. to
7: Columbus Cafe. I've been to the drugstore, been to the health store, and it's about.
0: Well, I had a sad a little head. outing. Yeah. I had a you sad tried outing. tried to get ahead here. Yes. Head. I mean, I was, my, my, my hair is just in a state, and I was, I like to get to work early. So yeah. it's one of the many things I love about working from home. Sometimes I get in here at about 5.30, and I really get serious stuff mm-hmm. done before the email starts pouring in and the phone yeah. starts running hot and that sort of stuff. So it was the um, day before Global Accessibility Awareness Day, and I was just really busy with media and different things. And finally, at 3.30, I thought I would go and do the haircut thing, but it was not easy because – I thought, well, if we go to this caravan thing in the car park, there's a bar, 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 bar. He's not called Barbaran, though. Mm-hmm. No. But um, anyway, he's a barber. And he's got this caravan set up in a car park, which is not necessarily the easiest to get to. But the good no. thing is it's not in the mall. And I figured with physical distancing, this would be the place to go. But there were four people waiting safely physically distanced in the caravan and then there was a line of people outside the door of the caravan also safely physically distanced and we sort of calculated okay at an average of say 15 minutes per haircut it was going to be after five which I think was closing time Mm -hmm. before they would get to me so then I headed off to the mall which is just awful really at the moment I think <laughs> and they had this a similar kind of thing at the uh, at the mall as well where uh, people were just lined up.
7: You can uh, up. apparently somebody was telling me that it just cuts which is the the hair place in the mall. Yeah. You can check online to see what the queue is and you can sign in or Gee, something.
0: See, that's high tech.
7: Yeah, and and it'll like tell you how long the wait is.
0: Wow, well, that you know. is high. Well, One I might have to do that because then I decided. I mean, this was a week after we'd gone into level two, yeah, and the hairdressers and barbers and things had opened. So then I decided. Well, it was just going to be easier to buy some sandals and say, you know, some some kind of really casual clothes. I don't know, like a, t- a turban or something maybe, mm-hmm. and, and 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 just decide to to be, be a hippie, a hippie yeah, executive. The, hippie, the hippie. hippie. A hippie CEO. He could
7: be like one of those Silicon So, those I, silicone, silicone, yeah. so silicone I posted Valley a message on
0: CEOs. our Yammer, which is kind of Microsoft's um, <laughs> internal social network that they provide for businesses. And we have all these different groups, my organization does on Yammer, where we can all communicate with one another. And so I, I put one in the social community to say, I'm making a special announcement that today I'm changing my lifestyle. I said you were going to love the beard.
7: Like they have out in California. Like yeah, the, well, why not? I mean, some of those tech companies I've heard, I, I had a friend that went in for a meeting with Google. And they dressed yes. up with a suit and they went in and this the CEO, well, it wasn't the CEO, but it was some high up person. there, sitting there on the desk and really looked like they hadn't bathed in a while with a Diet Coke and, you know, flip-flops. And they're like, okay.
0: Yes, uh-huh. yes. I I know. And we had this, of course, with Ira, Where they were pretty casual as well. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a number of the blind people who were working for Ira then, many of us, I believe, think, and I think this is absolutely true, that if you dress nicely, you know, even to the point of wearing a suit and tie, which I prefer to do, you get taken more seriously Mm -hmm. by people. I've done sort of little little experiments about this and it's absolutely true you are less patronized not to say it's a complete patronization immunity system but you are less patronized if you dress like that uh, but certainly there was this concern oh maybe we're a bit overdressed yeah maybe Business we're a bit over-dressed a with
7: it. yeah i used to have to dress up to fly
0: what's wrong with that
7: i don't know i always thought it was very strange that my mom and dad would make me dress up to fly I'm like, Mm. why? You're going to be sitting in a seat for three or four hours. No, you must look nice on the plane. Now that was a long time ago. Now people, I think, I think,
0: I think there's a real, there's a better service.
7: You get, you know. I'm like, okay, but now you know you get on the plane when you can get on a plane, and people come in their pajamas and, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, well, Uh, I hear these stories about people who wander off at 3 a.m. to the supermarket in their pajamas.
7: No, I I have never never gone out in public in my pajamas. I would never
0: do that.
7: Why would you do that?
0: Why would you do that? Why would you you burst out like that? Uh, Brian Gaff's writing in, Uh and he he says, I can say it's definitely not me. This is the voice on that cobalt
7: talking um, clock. uh, He is far
0: more posh, Brian says. And he also says he is also on my microwave. Um, we had that cobalt microwave. It was a really good one. Do you remember? I think
7: I think that was before my time. Oh, was it
0: before your time? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. But I have uh, seen it, them. It had physical buttons, yeah. quite good tactile buttons. And the one thing that used to make me laugh was every time you opened the door, it would say door open like an elevator. Open. Uh, and you think, why do we need to know the doors open when I just opened it? Um, but it was very good. It was very accessible. And um, I kind of wish we had it. Back again, really, mm-hmm. but but our oh, current microwave is very high it's tech. It's very high tech. It's got yeah. the steaming, yeah. steaming Steam stuff.
7: Veggies. I did want to mention because I know that we do have some Seeing Eye grads who listen. Uh, that many of you may remember Carol Houston, who was the a night nurse, and nurse weekend nurse at the Seeing Eye, and she passed away yesterday. She had been retired from Seeing Eye for a few years, but um, she did pass away yesterday.
0: I'm very sorry to hear yeah. that.
7: And her son also uh, worked as a, an instructor assistant for many years there, Scott Houston. So you may, if you don't remember Carol, you might remember Scott. He used to um, drive the van, uh, the shuttle back and forth from town sometimes and uh, get people up to the clinic for vet visits and stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, we send her family condolences. She
7: was a really nice. Both of them were really great, are great. Well, Scott is, you know, great people, just really nice people. Mm. So it's really.
0: Mm. Now, on to brighter subjects, Mm -hmm. I did hear a brochure was an audio brochure that you were voicing in part mm-hmm. for the seeing eye that was fun you yeah. you don't sound any different
7: no probably not
0: you haven't really lost any of your american accent no, being here i
7: haven't a lot of people think i'm canadian
0: yeah well i'd I go with they, that if i were you right now
7: yeah well otherwise
0: you get asked about trump
7: yeah <laughs> But the problem is if they think you're Canadian, then they want to know where in Canada. And and you can say things, but you're always run the
0: risk. Just say Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. I reckon that's such a cool. Of course, they have Saskatoon and Saskatchewan. 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 But Saskatoon's different.
7: Is it? Yes. But Saskatoon was the same as Saskatchewan. It was just the way they pronounced Saskatchewan. Oh, was it? I think so. No, I don't
0: think so. I think so. Soup drinker. Where is Saskatoon.
3: Saskatoon is a city in the province of Saskatchewan yeah. in Western yeah. Canada.
0: Oh it is a city. It's a business. city in the province of oh, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
7: but my luck if I said that oh yeah, I grew up what part in of Saskatoon. it.
0: Saskatoon. Did you, did you? Oh, just say in the suburbs of Saskatoon? Just
7: say Milk River, Alberta. It's no a good one name, has Saskatoon. ever heard of Milk River, Alberta.
0: I there are lots of really interesting place names in America too, aren't yeah. there?
7: Yeah, well, Milk River, Alberta is right across the border from, I believe, Milk River, Montana, because that's yeah. where we crossed into Canada once. Oh. I think there was like five people that lived there.
0: Yeah. Place names are fascinating. Yeah. New Zealand has the honor of having the longest place name in the world.
7: I'm very thankful I do not live there.
0: Me too, because I can't remember it. I mean, I I don't think I'd have any uh, trouble pronouncing it, but I just can't remember it. And if you are hungry for a different perspective, then Takags is writing in from Budapest, and my apologies if I have mispronounced that name. Hi, Jonathan. This Monday, our lockdown was over in Budapest. Let me share with you my experience in Hungary When a blind person is walking the street or any other public place, he or she is regularly grabbed, pushed, pulled by sighted individuals, of course without the consent of the visually impaired person. I hate this and always kindly ask the individual who touches me to leave me alone. Almost every time they take it as an insult. In some cases they shout at me. Well, during the pandemic, this intrusion in my personal sphere is significantly lower. So I have to admit, in a way, I liked the lockdown. We were allowed to go out and do basic shopping, go to the doctor or go to work. I use a white cane to navigate. I'm absolutely OK with walking alone and don't need any help at all, especially in familiar environments. I'm really interested to know If this behavior is also widespread in other countries, when I ask the sighted individual to please leave me alone or please let me go, I always have the same reaction. They get angry. They just wanted to help me. I am rude. They will never help a blind person again and so on. But for me, help is something I agree to accept. Touching me without my consent is an embarrassing disrespect of human dignity if I'm asked whether I need some help, I will answer in the nicest way yes or no, but most of the time, a hand starts to push or pull me without pronouncing a single word. The really sad thing for me is that in Hungary, my way of seeing this situation is a rather rare thing in the blind community. A large portion of blind folks have the conviction that they must accept anything and let themselves be guided this way whenever wherever and however it is offered oh boy I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this one it is frustrating to be poked and prodded and generally disrespected in a way that would be considered absolutely inappropriate harassment if you did it to a sighted person if you just laid hands on a random person in the street it would not go down well And I'm sure that most of us have stories where you're at a street crossing and you're almost bodily hurled in an inappropriate direction or something crazy like that. And people assume that they know where you want to go better than you do and all kinds of things like this. And I do see some people who are really constantly angry with the world. And that's sad because I think in most cases, people do these things out of ignorance. It tests us, though, doesn't it? Because it requires us to somehow always be on top of our game, always polite and nice, and nobody is. Nobody is. And sometimes you just want to be able to get on with your life in peace. And of course, the other element which the email refers to is absolutely true. And that is if you decline someone's offer of help, whether it be graciously or not so graciously, suddenly you are an ambassador. You you personally have been appointed ambassador of the world of the blind. And they consider that if you behave in a certain way, all blind people will behave in a certain way, and the sighted person will never offer to help another blind person as long as they live because of what you have done. Totally unreasonable, because if someone did that to a person of color, you know what that would be called? Racism. And rightly so. It should be called out as being racist, but that's ableist. That is ableism absolutely to assume that because you react in a certain way, all blind people shouldn't be helped in future. Now, that said, I personally do feel a bit of a responsibility to be nice where possible. And sometimes I have been with blind people who are just so rude and so angry to everybody they meet that it actually has made me cringe and been ashamed to be around them. So just as a matter of common human decency, I mean, unless somebody's physically assaulting you. And I, I suppose you can argue that, you know, if somebody touches you, that does overstep a boundary, in my view. If somebody has gone beyond going up to you and saying, do you want any assistance or can I assist in any way? And sometimes when you decline that graciously, people insist anyway, and that's where it does get a bit annoying. Uh, I think the actual physical contact is another matter entirely. That's just inappropriate. And you might just have to be uh, a bit firm and and aggro in a situation like that. There's a very interesting story that I read in one of the kernel books, and I actually was at an NFB convention when Kenneth Jernigan read this story. If you're not familiar with the kernel books, that's K-E-R-N-E-L, they really are excellent. These are NFB publications. I don't know if they still do the kernel books or not, but they're kind of anecdotes, really, from blind people living their lives, doing all sorts of things. They don't have to be spectacular, super-duper things. They're just, they're just things. They're just sort of stories of being blind. And Kenneth Jernigan wrote a really good story in one of them called Don't Throw the Nickel. And if you haven't read that, I'm sure the Colonel books are lurking about on the NFB website somewhere. And it's a really good, thought-provoking story about how to refuse help without being a dick. There you go. There's the challenge. Refuse help. There's no shame in not requiring help. I mean, yes, sometimes I will grab an elbow from someone. Not these days. Not grabbing anyone's elbow. They might have coughed into it. Disgusting. But in days of yore, I might sometimes have grabbed an elbow and walked with someone if they're going the same way as me because, well, why not, really? I don't have anything to prove. But if I don't need help or I would just rather get about my life, I try to refuse graciously and try to do so, as I say, without being a dick. It'd be interesting to get some perspectives on this.
8: Hello, Jonathan. This is Roger D. Peterson. I just found out that IRTI is now the American uh, service agency for my Vario Ultra rail display from Baum. You know, Baum went out of business and their products went over to Visio Braille, but the but IRTI is now their U.S. service uh, agency. IRTI is a company in Grass Valley, California. That's up in the mountains near almost to Nevada. In fact, it's in Nevada County, California. And um, Peter Procia, Vito's son, is running it, Along, and his wife, Phyllis, Uh, Peter and Phyllis both worked at Telesensory when I was there. And Vito was once uh, vice president of Telesensory.
0: Good to know that IRTI is still going as well. I really look back on those technical innovations, bulletins, cassettes with a lot of fondness. Sometimes the audio quality was sort of interesting. I do seem to remember it might have been another cassette publication I got, but I think it was that one, where they would sometimes interview people by essentially putting a mic up to a speakerphone. But the thing is, the content was so interesting. It was really, it was sort of a magical publication where they just had all these really useful gadgets. And as a kid, I thought, wow, I'd love to have some of these gadgets.
2: Hi, Jonathan, it's Sarah here. And I just had to tell you this one. Uh, Your keynote experiment made me think of this. I went to sit down at uh, the computer in our house when I was younger. I was working on some university work or something, and, and there was a computer there. So I thought, oh, well, I'll use that. I didn't I hadn't brought mine with me. I don't think I had a laptop at the time. And so um, I was writing things out, and every time I wrote my name, it said Heather instead of Sarah. And I did not understand why this was happening, and I thought, what is going on here? So I went downstairs or wherever I had to go, and I said, excuse me, but does anybody know why Sarah is being pronounced Heather? And my stepfather said, oh, that was me. I was trying to figure out the JAWS dictionary and learn how it worked. <laughs> and because he's visually impaired as well. And so he, he decided to make my name be pronounced as Heather and he'd forgotten to change it back. It was very, very disconcerting.
0: You can have so much fun with those dictionaries. You you really can. That's a great story. It's Pretty bizarre also, some of the things that are happening to speech. I know that we've talked on this show before about the way that Samantha was pronouncing yesterday on iOS, and I understand they have fixed that now, but you may remember a few weeks ago, David Harvey got in touch and he was talking about some changes that he'd noticed in his Daniel text-to-speech engine on iOS. And he was saying how when the name BBC or when, when the business BBC was coming up, it was sort of saying it like it was one word, sort of BBC. And I didn't understand what he meant at the time because it wasn't doing it for me. And I thought, what is he on about? And he was saying that there were several instances of this. And then about two or three weeks ago, it started happening to me. If you write BBC in blocked capital letters and you're using Daniel Compact or whatever they call it now, the sort of default Daniel, not the premium version, which I find really unintelligible and horrible, but I I do like being able to crank up the Daniel Compact one. If you write BBC, CNN, I think is another one that does it. ABC definitely does it, but CBC doesn't do it. It's sort of molds them together like it's one word, like somebody's gone into some internal pronunciation dictionary and told it to pronounce things in a different way. If you write BBC in lowercase, it doesn't do it, or any of these networks in lowercase. It's really odd to do like BBC, it all, all flows together. But what's fascinating is, I asked Anthony, who also uses the compact Daniel, if he's got it, and he hasn't. So initially, I haven't been commenting about this because I thought it might be something to do with the beta, but Anthony is now running iOS 13.5, and it's not doing it for him. And the other interesting thing is, quite reasonably, I suppose, Daniel, which is a British-English voice, is pronouncing Anthony's name Anthony, which is how they pronounce the name in the UK. We don't pronounce it that way, and nor does the US, and I don't think Australia does either, We say Anthony, but in the UK, they pronounce it Anthony. Daniel has been saying Anthony forever until this weird update. So it's curious that it is being pushed to people at different times. David Harvey had it a long time before I got it. Now I've got it and Anthony doesn't have it. And we're all using the same text-to-speech engine. There are obviously ways that Apple has of sort of pushing updates beyond iOS itself. And I wonder what triggers it. I wonder why some people have had this change rolled out and others haven't.
4: Mosin at Large Podcast.
0: Brian Gaff has been writing in asking whether the New Zealand place name is longer than the place name in Wales. I'm not familiar with the place name in Wales, but we will ask the drinker to settle the matter. Soup drinker, what is the longest place name in the world? The
3: longest place name in an English-speaking country is a hill in New Zealand called Tamatera. Hungakorua Otamatere, turipukapiki munger, Horanuku, Pakai Fenua, Kitanataru. It means the summit where Tamadio, the man with the big knees, the slider. Climber of Mountains, the land swallower who travelled about, played his nose flute to his loved one.
0: Yeah, and of course there was a song with that at the beginning that Kenny Everett used to play on his one of his TV shows. So that's good to pronounce that accurately actually. It's been Global Accessibility Awareness Day. This time it was on Thursday the twenty first of may. It's nice to think that people take an interest in accessibility at least for one day a year. And it's been quite an effective campaign, really. And I was interviewed on a few places and lots of other people were and there were special events that were held. So that's great that we can focus attention on accessibility. And Apple, as it has done in recent years, did also focus on accessibility on its homepage and also in the App Store. And there was a really interesting article in the App Store, about an app that I hadn't heard of before. So I wanted to mention it in case it might be helpful. It probably, I mean, it might, but it probably won't help people who have well-calibrated hearing aids already connected to their iPhones under the made-for-iPhone hearing aid standard. But it might help you if you don't. If you think you're just not hearing things quite as well as you should... And if that is you, then I would encourage you to contact an audiologist and get an audiogram done, because as a blind person, hearing is really important for us. But this thing is called Sonic Cloud. It's all one word, Sonic Cloud, not to be confused with SoundCloud, the service where many musicians and podcasters store stuff, including Sarah Hillis. Sonic Cloud is a very accessible app. It's 100% accessible. And when you run it, it takes you through a series, a battery of hearing tests. It will take you some time to complete this. And it starts off with uh, tests in each ear and it goes on, it it tests your frequency range. So how soft can the sound be before you stop hearing it? And it goes through quite a wide range of frequency tones, eight different frequency tones in each ear. And then it goes through a similar number of tones for loudness. And it says, how loud can this sound get before you find it uncomfortable to hear? And then it does a few other things. It's quite a lengthy process to do it, particularly with a screen reader, because what you have to do is navigate a slider to set things just so. And when you've got things almost right, because it goes in 5% increments, you can then press a fine tune button and fine tune it within... Those five percentiles. So it's quite a process to set it up, but it is fully accessible. When you've done this and Sonic Cloud is set up, there's an in-app purchase and I'm not quite sure what that gives you, but because of Apple's sandboxed kind of ecosystem. I don't believe it affects anything outside of the app. It might be okay for phones, actually, because they've got a they've got an API for the phone calls, haven't they? So it's possible that, that that will work. But for things like listening to podcasts or radio stations, I believe you have to do that from within the app. It's not something I've explored too much because after I did the setup and heard the audio, I thought, well, really, my hearing aids are doing this anyway, and it's not really adding any value. But if you don't have hearing aids... Uh, It could be something that just gives you a little bit of enhancement if you're in that kind of position where sometimes you just find your phone a bit hard to hear. So it's fun, you know, to try it out with the hearing test and everything. That is absolutely free. You can do that without the in-app purchase. So if you want to have a play, search for Sonic Cloud, or one word in the App Store, and see what you make of it.